Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to this session on hope after multiple relapses. I'm Jim, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. I will be facilitating this session. I'm joined by Tim T. And each of us will share our recovery on this topic. And then we'll take some some time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. If you wish to participate, write your question on one of these three-by-five cards, and we have pencils and cards up here. Uh, you can come up and write your question, and then we'll, we'll get to them when we get to that part. Let's open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by this serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Essay Purpose. Sexholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. So um, I'm going to ask Tim to come up, and he's going to share, and then I'm going to share, and um, sometimes... Whenever, whenever you think of something, come up here and uh, write a question and leave it for us, and uh, we'll see about addressing them at the end. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Uh, my name's my name's Tim. I am a sexaholic, and uh, I have uh, eighteen and a half years of sobriety. Prior to that. 11 years of constant relapse and slip. And what I'm going to talk about today is what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I have to give you a disclaimer. I might say you, I might say we, I might say us, and if I do so, please, I don't intend to infer that I know your story or what your experience has been. This is just me. So uh, get that out of the way in a hurry. Let me ask, are there any people in the room that came into the program and in the first week or month got sober and stayed sober? For a while. For a while. Okay. I was going to say, if not, you got to go to the advanced session. 
know, that's pretty, that was not my experience. But uh, uh, but anyway, I yeah, bottom was low enough. I, I did make a list, you know, because the eleven years that I was in and out, it, it wasn't too bad. So I thought just for you guys, I would list those times that I over that eleven. 11 year period that I did slip. So I, I made the list that I'm going to read out now. And, uh, I could, I could, <laughs> I could fill all those up. Trust me. So the best example I can give for, uh, recovery after multiple relapses is last year I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, hypertension, whatever. So the doctor says, you know, we're going to have to start you on some medication here and, as an addict, I don't want any medication. Don't give me any medication. I can fix this myself. I can fix this myself. So he said, well, you can give it a shot. What do you want to do? He said, well, you can increase your exercise. I said, well, I run 10 miles a week. And I said, I'm going to go to 20. So I got up to 20 miles a week. A few months, go back. Of course, now I'm testing my own blood pressure. No luck. He said, well... Got this medication. I said, mm, let me try something else. So I switched to my diet. I said, I'm going to really, really work on my diet. So I started eating kale, carrots, bananas, fruits, vegetables. Five days a week, I would have a smoothie. Yeah, you guys have seen me carrying it in the, in the meeting. So I go back a few months later. <laughs> Same result. Same result. Man, I was really getting upset about this. So I said, what else can I do? He said, man... I've got some medicine here. I said, no, no, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. So then I said, I'm going to take a look at my weight. So I lost 20 pounds, 20 pounds. Watch my diet. So I was exercising, running 20 miles a week, eating the absolute most healthy things you could ever eat. Dropped my weight. Sleeping seven or eight hours a night. I mean, I was covering all the bases. Didn't smoke. Go back. He says, are you ready now? At that point in time, I finally gave up. And I finally said, I give. I give. There's nothing that I can do myself that's going to make any difference. I finally gave up. So I think that's the point, even through a period of relapse and through a period of acting out, I think there's a point that that I hit that finally said, man, you just can't do this by yourself. It's not going to happen. So examples that I had were things to do and things not to do in recovery. Now, the first thing, the first thing I looked at was rationalization. Now, I could rationalize my behavior forever. And I said, well, everyone does this. I mean, it's, it's the mode of the day. Everybody's doing this. Everybody, you know, it's not just me. It's everybody. I realized and found out the hard way that everybody is not behaving this way. They're what I call earth people. Earth people are not out there with the alcohol, the drugs, the sex. There are earth people out there who do not do the things that we do. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of earth people out there. So that sort of burst my bubble, but it's kind of like during that period of time, I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you buy a car, as soon as you buy that car, as you're going down the road, oh, there's one, oh, there's one, look at all these cars, there's one, there's one, there's one. Do you think, really, that all of a sudden the number of cars like yours just exploded on the planet? No, 
It's what we're looking at and it's what we're looking for, which is exactly what I was doing with my rationalization. And of course, I would get into the dirty gossip and such and such is doing this and such and such is doing that because that helped to propel my rationalization. Uh, but I, I realized that, wait a minute, if everybody is doing this, even if they are, and I'm miserable, what difference does it make? I'm miserable. Regardless of who's doing what. So I was able to put, put that aside. Uh, the next rationalization I had is I just got a higher sex drive. I mean, you just got to admit it, man. I just was born this way. God made me this way. I got a high sex drive. There's nothing I can do about it. I've got a high sex drive. I learned, um, that I really don't. But uh, to back up a second, I went to a civic club meeting, geez, 35 years ago, and the urologist was a speaker. And the urologist gets up and says, we've done research. And in terms of prostate cancer, we have found that those people who have sex on a very, very regular basis, not masturbation but sex, have a much lesser chance of dying from prostate cancer than those that don't. And I said, there you go. There's my ticket. I've got to be healthy. I've got to live a long life. I've got a sneaking suspicion that guy was a sex addict and he was looking at the cars on the road thinking, there's the statistics. That's, that's going to, that's going to prove me out. Uh, but asking a sex addict for me, I believe that asking a sex addict if you have a high sex drive or not is a little bit like going up to a person who is engulfed in flames on fire and saying, what do you think the temperature is out here in the rest of the world? <laughs> Just not, not a very good, not a very good person to ask. The next rationalization I had was if everybody would just treat me with respect. You know, my wife is so mean to me. My kids, my neighbors, everybody is just so mean to me. And slowly I began to realize I was the most sensitive person on the face of the earth. Everything got to me. Almost as if it wasn't, I could even think of things that people might be saying about me and it would tear me up. Even if they never said it, I was sensitive. Why was I sensitive? Boils down to, uh, poor self-esteem, boils down to, uh, I was guilty, I was, I was ashamed, and, uh, everything hit me, not, not as it should, but it came at me like, uh, like a ton of bricks. So I finally thought, what am I going to do? You know, all of this stuff is not working. My rationalizations aren't working. I'm still miserable. So in 1990, when I first got into the program, I said, therapy. That's the answer. I'll go to therapy. So I did. I was all gung-ho. So I went to therapy. I sent my wife to therapy. And I sent my two girlfriends to therapy. And we were going to get... <laughs> We were going to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> wow, these people weren't treating me right. <laughs> believe it or not, uh, you're not going to believe this, but it's true. It was the same therapist <laughs> who's not practicing anymore. But uh, anyway, not Judith, by the way. <laughs> so uh, I'm, let me say, I had years and years and years of therapy. It's incredibly valuable. Uh, it was incredible, still is incredibly, incredibly valuable for me. Many of the reasons are is because it was the definer for a lot of the triggers, which pushed me, which flipped the switch that take me into the, into the no man's land. 
but, but I still had ex- excuses. I could find an excuse for anything. Come home late. What are you doing home late? Oh, I had this project that was overdue, and I had to get it done by tomorrow. Okay, all right. Another time, what's all that perfume on you? You smell like perfume. Where did that perfume come from? Oh, you know, such and such came in and gave me this big old hug, and she was drenched in perfume. So I just got it all over me. You know, very creative, quickly. Then, whose panties are those in the glove box? Now, you talk about a tough one to get out of. (laughs) That's a rough one. But... That one reminded me, I did have an excuse for that, by the way, but uh, thought of one, whether it was believed or not, I don't know. But in therapy, part of therapy, as you know, is family of origin issues, doing your family tree, genealogy, going back and find out what are the dynamics in your family tree that have filtered down to you as a child and later an adult. Well, I took that seriously, as I, as I do a lot of things. I actually went back to my hometown, and I interviewed people. I interviewed people that knew my family. Some of them had long, been, long died, and I would interview people. And one of the people shared with me a story that was so classic sexaholic, it was unbelievable. And it falls into the category of excuses. I mean, this was classic. I mean, I should write it down and put it on my way. In terms of a, of a sexaholic using whatever they can think of at any given time to make an excuse. Insanity. Here's the story. My uncle was having an affair with a lady that lived across town. Obviously, both married. She would come to his house, pick him up. He would, <laughs> he would get in the trunk of her car so they could drive back through town and nobody could see him. You know, I thought, that's pretty extreme. I just leaned over when I did that. But anyway, he was in the trunk of the car. Well, one day, she pulls up to a stop sign, and bam, she gets rear-ended. So, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but the police came, and they're looking around. The trunk didn't open, but the policeman is around back, and he's fooling around with it because it was dented in there, and he was trying to pop it. When he did that, the trunk pops up, and there's my uncle. The policeman looks at him and says, what are you doing here? And in the classic sexaholic term, he said, everybody's got to be somewhere. <laughs> the entire police department got a, got a, gig, got a big kick out of that. They thought, they thought that was funny, too. So... Uh, that was, a, that was a great one. So I thought if I got enough therapy that this stuff would go away, you know. And it helped. No question, it helped. But it's, I still go back, still go back, still go back. I'd get better, get better for a few months, a few weeks, a few months, go back. And one, one time I was talking to my therapist and I said, I've got these crazy thoughts in my head. Crazy. You know, I mean, deviant, sexual, dark crazy things in my head. And he said, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference. And it hit me, you know, like a ton of bricks. It doesn't matter. You know, all these crazy, sinister things I have in my head don't matter. They just don't matter. And uh, I can remember one of the guys in the program uh, called me uh, one day and said, look, I've got this guy that I'm sponsoring. He lives in another country. 
One of those countries that starts with the letter A. I don't know, Africa, Antarctica, I don't know where it was. But anyway, you know, uh, the letter thing is kind of like said, uh, you know, uh, I told my sponsor I'll only act out on days that end with a Y, you know. So it's all about the letters. And uh, so eventually this guy calls me, you know, and uh, he was really, really nervous, really, really nervous. And I could tell it on the phone. And he said, well, my sponsor told me I have to get this out. <laughs> and I said, okay. And uh, at that time, I had been keeping a mental list of all the things that are in our heads, that people have shared that are in our heads. I had a pretty good list, by the way. It's like, oh, that's a new. Two weeks ago, somebody hit me with another one and said, you're in the top ten. That was a good one. I like it. So anyway, this guy, I could tell he was just absolutely horrified. And he said, this is one of those pictures you can't get out of your mind. I hope he's not here, by the way. It's okay if he is. He said, I fantasize about having anal sex with old men with big, fat bellies. And I'm sitting there, like, you, you can't unsee that. And I give it a second. I give it a second. And then I come back with, is that the best you got? <laughs> You know, I mean, uh, we're a crazy lot. I know I'm a crazy lot. I mean, the imagination, it goes off the deep end. And, you know, hopefully this guy understands it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Recovery, it doesn't matter. Uh, <clears throat> what didn't work for me, another thing, is that uh, depending on other people to affirm my recovery, I really, really wanted my wife to say, wow, you are working those steps. You are doing a great job. I'm going to give you a gold star. It's just awesome. And I soon learned, somebody mentioned this, they said, you know what? Expecting someone to give you a high five because you are on the road to recovery would be a little bit like standing in a checkout line at a grocery store and announcing to the world that you have just stopped masturbating every day so many times that you make yourself raw and expecting everybody to give you a high five. You know, it's like, I'm not trying to be Mother Teresa. I'm just trying to get up to zero, you know, just trying to get to zero. That's all. That might be the best I got. So uh, I thought churching it up would work. You know, I'd go to church, teach Sunday school, you know, all that. My family, every time the doors were open, I would go in. And, uh, you know, that didn't work. Kind of remind me of the of the sexaholic, the female sexaholic that was in church. And uh, she chased a guy around all through the church until she finally caught him by the organ. And uh, if you uh, say that fast enough, people won't uh, catch it. Another thing that's a little controversial is, uh, come on, Ben, <laughs> is uh, numbers. We talk about uh, how many days. It didn't work for me when I first started. In my, in my childhood, everybody was either better than me or worse than me. There was no, nobody was just right where I was. So when I started doing that in the meetings, oh, it was horrible. You were either better than me or you were worse than me. So it wasn't good for me. Now, it's very important to do that. And I say that because it's accountability and it's also the 12th step. And what I mean by accountability is obviously, and it, it, you know, a lot of people it works really well for. You know, and I, I don't want to be controversial, but it just didn't work for me. And some of, some of my sponsees doesn't work for them. But uh, 
in any event, the 12th step is the reason why we talk about how many days of sobriety we have, weeks, months, or years, is because we must give hope to those people who are just coming in that don't have that much. So I would say that if I'm in a room and I've got two days of sobriety and there's only one other guy in the room and he's got one day of sobriety, yes, I'm going to say, I got two. I want to give that guy hope that he's going to get two. But fortunately in Nashville, I don't have to worry too much about that because uh, a lot of people with a lot of sobriety here, which is, a, uh, which is, true, which is truly a gift. Uh, okay, tools for continuous sobriety, some things that I, some things that I learned. <clears throat> Again, this is a controversial one, acceptance of a brain disorder. Uh, I've gone through everything I possibly could. I tried everything I could, and the switch was still there. may go away for weeks, even months sometimes, but the switch was still there to engulf me, to engulf me in that lust, in that craving of lust. still there. When I began to accept the fact that I was not doing what I wanted to do, if I was not doing what I wanted to do, what was happening? You know, and I can talk about this with the earth person and say, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And the earth person will say, why don't you just stop? It's like, wow, never thought of that. Just stop. Right. But one of the things is that the brain disorder really helped me to understand why I did the things that hurt so many people and why I did so many things that hurt myself. Uh, it was all I had. It was all I had to, to, to comfort myself. It was all I had to get through the pain. It's all. It's all I had. Uh, and as long as I believed that uh, I could do it myself and fail and fail and fail eventually, uh, hope is lost and there's helplessness. And that leads to suicide or the world will be better off if I'm not here. And unfortunately, we lose people in this fellowship who don't quite turn the corner. It's sad. Uh, another thing, number two is I call my sponsor every day. Now, I didn't do that. Didn't do that. These are things that I did when I, as I, that led me to continual sobriety. Come a sponsor every day. Now, what I was told early on is that if you're feeling squirrely, if you're about to act out, call your sponsor. Are you kidding me? To me, that's kind of like, it's a little bit like uh, I'm standing in the yard, my house is burning to the ground, and my neighbor comes up and says, hey, dude, you better run back into that house and put that cigarette out. It's a little bit late. A little bit. So what's the solution? And I realized the only solution I had was every single day, whether I wanted to or not. It wasn't, uh, do I need to? It was every day. And even, even, even if we talk about what the predator's score was last night, it doesn't matter. Every day. The things that it does, it builds self-esteem. I mean, the phone calls are tricky. They're tricky because they do so much for us. For me, that I don't realize. Bill's self-esteem helps us integrate into the real world. Uh, helps us become accountable, and it diffuses the craving. Uh, another thing is accept the fact that uh, another tool is to fact, accept the fact that acting out is, is is exhilarating. It's a high. It's a rush. It is absolutely Mount Rushmore in terms of uh, in terms of adrenaline. I can't ever forget that. I can't forget that. The second I forget that is the second. It's cunning, baffling, and powerful. It'll get me. 
another piece is make meetings every week. Don't, you know, the five most dangerous words, I think, in the addict's vocabulary is, do I need a meeting? <laughs> do I need a meeting? Okay, here's a guy that's burned his life to the ground. And here's a guy that absolutely will attempt to have sex with anything that moves. And I'm supposed to have enough uh, uh, wherewithal to understand whether I need a meeting or not. Are you kidding me? So I made the decision that it wasn't a choice that I could make. It was something that had to be an integrated part of my, part of my recovery. So I realized I, was, I lived there in, in, in uh, Michigan for a while, and there just weren't that many meetings. And I would do a phone meeting, and I would drive. So I know that there's no place has as many meetings as Nashville, but I highly recommend that even if you do have to drive, uh, set a course of action and don't even think about whether you need it or not because odds are you probably don't know whether you need it or not until you get there and then it's too late. So uh, just, just my thought. Ne- never, never underestimate the value of one day of sobriety. Ever, ever, ever. Nothing can possibly happen without one day of sobriety. And I have, I have sponsees that uh, relapse back and forth, but they keep trying, keep trying, and their life still is so much better, so much better in so many ways. So never give up, never give up, never give up. Each day counts. And I will say that the 11 years when I was in and out were invaluable. It's, what, it's just what I needed. Not everybody takes that long. Some take longer. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's invaluable. Daily prayer and meditation. Uh, I promise I'm coming to the end here. Daily prayer and meditation. Uh, here's, my, here's the trick that I taught myself in, in daily prayer and meditation. I've got three or four things that I read. I will read it. When I get through reading it, I must pretend like I'm telling what I just read to another person. If I can't do that, I've got to do it again. Because it means I wasn't present. I wasn't there. So I read it again. Sometimes I read these things three or four times until I'm finally able to soak it in and uh, uh, take it in. Uh, Today's reading, terrific in the uh, Daily Reflection. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. I'm not an earth person. (laughs) I never will be. And I'm okay with that because I can, I can uh, 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 work and live around earth people just fine today, thanks, thanks to recovery. Uh, last two things I'll say uh, from the book. Half measure developed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked uh, for his protection and care with complete abandon. I wanted to look up the word abandon. Strangely enough, that word is not used much anymore. It's, uh, you, you take up take the use since the start of the last century it's a continued decline but abandon means give up completely a course of action a practice or a way of thinking abandon and the last thing i'll read is if we are painstaking about this phase of our development we will be amazed before we are halfway through painstaking what is painstaking painstaking is done with or employing great care and thoughtfulness Painstaking. And uh, I'll read the last part of that sentence and, and close. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. 
thank you, and I uh, hope maybe a couple of those things may be helpful in your, in your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, while I'm talking, if you think of a question, come up and write it down and, and leave it for us, and uh, we'll see what we can do. My name is Jim Burnett, and I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date is seven eleven oh six. That's thirteen years, and but I first my sexaholism goes way back. But the first time that I was identified, or the first time somebody says you might have a problem, or the first time I was suggested to go to a meeting, was in nineteen ninety six, and um, and I went to uh, I went to inpatient rehab for sex I'm, I'm, oh I'm sorry I'm a recovering alcohol and drug addict too and, and I like to say it's kind of funny I have not found it necessary to take a drink or a drug or a mood altering woman since 71106 um, I, uh, I I'm um, I started let's see how I want to start it I uh, I went to my first treatment center f- for sexual uh, issues in in 1999, and I'd ar- already been to uh, treatment three times for alcohol and drugs. Um, I used to be a practicing physician, and and um, you know when I started getting in trouble with alcohol and drugs, licensure boards and committees started looking over my shoulder and making me jump through hoops, and and that's a big that's a big part of maybe what took me so long because, you know, my motive for uh, getting sober or staying sober or, or whatever was to make them happy. Um, I, you know, I, I remember going to meetings because so-and-so will be at that meeting and they'll see me there and, you know, that might, it might help me in the future if, if, some, if somebody says that they saw me at a meeting. Um, I... Uh, I went through my first, I was recommended by the licensure board, uh, and I went through my first treatment center in 1999, and um, it was for a month out in Kansas, it, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and, um, you know, I, I just wasn't ready, um, and I'll talk more about, about uh, my problems with, with sobriety uh, later. But um, I continued to, to do what I was doing and sneak around and do this and do that. And I was identified again in 2005, and I went down to um, Patrick Carnes place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, for three months at that time. And um, I got out, and I wasn't ready. Um, by that time, they, they, uh, they, the, the licensure board... Put it, put it nicely and says, we suggest that you surrender your license. And I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. And then, and then when they heard that I was, that I was, uh, hesitating, they said, if your license, if you hadn't rescinded your license by 10 o'clock Monday morning, we're going to have an emergency meeting of the board and take it away. So, so there went my license. Um, and so after, after surrender of that in 2005, you know, I still wasn't ready. I mean, I have had a lot of consequences. Uh, I got convicted of a felony for, for pres- uh, prescribing controlled substances, uh, obtaining controlled substances by fraud and deceit in 1984. 
and got in a bunch of trouble then, and then have uh, lost my medical license, lost my ability to, to make a living. And, you know, I consider, I consider all of those significant consequences. But, um, you know, they are part of, part of my reason for, for being sober today. I don't, want to, I don't want to take anything away from that. But in 2008, after I had been sober for two years... Um, oh, I forgot. And I went to my last treatment center in 2006 uh, in Dallas, north of Dallas, Texas, at Sante, and I stayed five months. Um, and and since since entering that program, I have not found it necessary to to uh, break my sobriety. And I'm real and I'm real happy for that. And it took every I mean, it took all of that stuff for me. It took all of that stuff for me. But two years after my sobriety in 2006, um, I was still, my motive for everything was about a medical license. It was about my profession. You know, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, jump through that hoop, da-da-da-da-da. And, uh, and I went back for an evaluation. No, no, I went, yeah, uh, came, came here to Nashville to Vanderbilt. They've, they've got a program here for... Uh, Guys like me, and uh, and I and I went through their their evaluation, and at the end of it, they said, "No, uh, we don't think that you're ready to be relicensed, and we don't see it in the foreseeable future." I never will forget that that word, the foreseeable future. And um, it was at that point, you know, I was at this turning point. Wow, you know. What I'm doing is not getting that. Is that what I want? Or, you know, I talked to my sponsor and, and I talked to a lot of people and I really came to the decision that, you know what, I want to be sober and I want to do the next right thing um, and follow a program and get close to God and do whatever it takes so I feel better, so my wife feels better, so my family feels better. Um, I guess it's selfish, but I'm 70 years old, and I really, you know, I really want to, I want to leave a, a legacy. I want my children, when they think of me after I'm gone, to have a nice thought, uh, Rather than, well, my drunk old son, you know, sex addict dad is gone or whatever, whatever it could be. Uh, my father died drunk and, and I still, you know, have some thoughts about him. Um, so, so I decided that I want a legacy and, uh, and all that. Um, and it, and it came to me during this time, and I'm going to tell you a lot of things now that, that, I learn from sponsees or I see sponsees doing, and I have done most of them, maybe not all of them, but I've, but I've got experience with all these different things. I'm assuming that most of the people in here have had problems with relapse. Maybe that's why you're here. Um, and you just hadn't quite, you know, gotten a hold of, of long and meaningful sobriety yet. And and I'm hoping to give you hope. That's why I'm, that's 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 my that's why I'm here, um, because I sure got hope, but it was it came slowly. Um, first of all, I had to realize 
that, you know, I, I see people and I came to meetings just to not act out. It's all I care about, you know. I want to come to this meeting. I'm going to do what this person says. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to maybe work a step, maybe get a sponsor, maybe not. But I don't want to act out. Well, that's not enough. That's not good enough. It's, I mean, this is not a not acting out program. I mean, our primary purpose is to stay sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. But our deal is lust. You know, I have to, I have to work on, I had to learn about, you know, not lusting or getting progressive victory over lust. It wasn't about, I wasn't successful just because I didn't have sex outside my marriage or have sex with myself or, or whatever crossing my bottom line. I mean, that was not, that's not the final, that's not what I'm here about, you know? I'm not here about that. And I'll, and I'll make an, I'll go off and make a kind of a braggadocious remark. Not acting out is not the hardest thing for me to do today. But living with you guys and not being, have my feelings hurt and not being angry too much and not being selfish and not being arrogant. I'm an arrogant SOB. And, and I'll take your, your inventory in a minute. And maybe I'm getting some better with that. But, um, but those are the issues that I work on. I, I come to these, I continue coming to meetings. I continue sponsoring people. I continue praying. I continue being sponsored. I continue making phone calls because I bump into things, people in my life. Thank God for the 10th step. I mean, they're all are important, but the 10th step gives me more relief at the end of the day because I have, to, I'm able to look at myself and judge myself. And if, when I mess up and I've got this, this conscience back, I mean, I used to not have it. I didn't know if I'd stepped on your toes. Now I do. And, and I have a way to, uh, set things right. And I really like to do it before the end of the day because I love one of the best feelings in the world for me is to be able to wake up in the morning with no garbage from the past. I got a man. It's my, this is my day and it's mine to mess up. It's all clear from here. You know, it's good. It's all good because I've taken care of that yesterday. Um, another thing that I learned and I saw is that I need to hang, hang with the winners. I need, and, and I need to shut up. Um, you know, I, I, I have a, sometimes I talk a lot. Sometimes I think I'm smart. And sometimes I, you know, whatever. Well, at least when I first came in here and still today, I need to watch, I need to come to a meeting and watch and listen and see how people interact. And listen to the people that, that are doing well or that have experienced strength and hope. And let, and let them tell me about their mistakes so I don't have to make them to learn from them. Um, and so I have to hang with the winners. Um, here's another way that I have ex- experienced hope. And I hopefully I transmit hope. Um, when a sponsee calls me and says he's just acted out, you know, what I say is, yay. He says, what? I said, thank God, look at here, you're calling me. 
You are you have chosen an act of recovery after your relapse. Not you you know you're not hiding and running and doing it again or whatever. You have called me. You have told you have shared this. I hope you've prayed about it. And that's something I always tell my sponsor, sponsors when they call me and they have an issue. I said, Have you prayed about it yet? And sometimes if they say no, I say, Well, let's hang up. You pray about it and then call me back. Uh, but but I mean, pray about it and call out. You know, Yay! I'm sorry you had. I'm sorry you had some problems, but. Good for you. You're calling. You're on the right path already. Um, and the other thing, the other thing, and I like to, um, I like to identify with them. And this is this is one that I remember happening. Um, somebody told me that they'd relapsed, and I went, "Damn it!" And he looked at me like that, you know. And I said, "We we have this a terrible disease, don't we?" And he said, "Yeah." I mean, I like to identify. I, I want to identify with my with the people that are calling me for something, and and I need that. In when I you know when I reach out and I'm hurting, um, I need to. It really helps if if somebody's has a kind ear and I, and can identify with me, and doesn't talk about me. Um, another thing. Is firing sponsees or firing sponsors? I hate that term. Um, I uh, I want to continue to work with people. You know, in my in my I'm, I'm I'm sponsoring 14 guys now, and in my years of sobriety this time, there's one guy that I sponsored for uh, a while, and he did okay for a while, and then he stopped doing okay, and we just had a meeting one day, and we I said. Maybe you need somebody else. You know, what I'm telling you is not working. What do you think about finding someone else and let's see what you can do with them? And he did that. And we're still friends and everything's good. And and I just hadn't found it. Now, this is for me. You know, I'm not saying anything about how your sponsor treats you or how you treat your sponsees. But um, I've never, you know, said, okay, the next time you act out, I'm a history, you know. Don't don't even call me. You just call somebody else. I've, you know, I've heard people do that, and maybe it works for some people, but it's it it's it's just not my style. Um. So, Tim talked and it, and it brought up a couple of things for me. Um, my wife, my poor wife, has been my biggest victim. Um, one of my treatment centers, we have, you know, they do this disclosure in, in treatment. If you if you've been to to inpatient treatment for for sex addiction, disclosure is a big thing, and 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 it doesn't exactly go against the ninth step. Um, it but 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 the the thinking of the treatment providers is if you're going to continue a relationship with a person, if you hope to, they need to know everything they want to know. There should never be a case where I'm in a room with an acting out partner and my wife and me and the acting out partner know about it and my wife doesn't. That is just not fair. And I, and I, and I bought that and I believe it. And so I've been through some rigorous uh, disclosure with my wife um, in a couple of different treatment centers. And, and, um, and she took it and, and you know, it's, it's the biggest gift for me because... Um, She's she's my life partner. Somebody was saying this morning that, that I used to have a wife and now I have a life partner. Well, I, I've got a life partner, and um, and I and I don't, and I don't want her hurt anymore. 
Um, but but she she nails me from time to time. So I came home after my first year of sobriety and showed her this chip. And I said, look at me, I got a year. And she said, wait a minute, I hadn't acted out in 22 years. Where's my chip? <laughs> Another thing she does, she keeps me grounded. Um, I don't know about y'all, but it's one mile from my meeting to my house. And I can be the most sober, loving person in the world in that meeting and then by the time I drive home and walk in the back door I'm somebody else I'm, I'm a bear and and so so she'll she'll say I walk in she'll say you didn't get your money's worth <laughs> and the other thing she says is when I'm being a bear before the meeting she says she hands she just hands me a dollar and I know that she says that means take this and go to a meeting <laughs> so so we get along pretty well. Um, and another thing that, that, that I thought of at the last minute was, you know, a, pro- a problem with me is trying to figure out what's normal or wanting to be normal or thinking, hey, you know what, that's normal. Guys just do that. And that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not bad or I'm not wrong. It's just normal. And, and, uh, and I, know, I know when it comes to my sexual acting out and, and behaviors, what's normal and what's not now. But still in my life, um, you know, different behaviors or different actions or different things, um, I'm always questioning, is that normal? Is that normal? I don't know. I, you know, and normal, normal has always uh, been a uh, problem for me. Um, and that's all I got. Have we got it? Has anybody written any questions? I've been relapsing for over a decade. I get it that I am not ready. How do I get ready? What did you do to come to the decision to get better? What practices? What tipped the scales? You know, I just think I just answered it. Why don't you answer that one? Uh, I think there's a tendency to think, okay, this is it. I got it. This, I'm not going to do this anymore. I bottomed. This is another one of the questions. I never could do that. I had to let the miracle happen. Just let it happen. And if, you know, my experience was I made a commitment to go to meetings every week. I made a commitment to call every day. I made a commitment to do the steps, to step work. And that's it. And half measures availed us nothing. I said, what does that mean? What's a half measure? And I finally realized that for me, a half measure was investing any less time, any day or in any week than I used to invest in acting out. That was a half measure for me. But this is not something that I could have ever said, okay, uh, in August 2001, this will begin my long term of sobriety. I had no idea, no clue. It just happened. So I don't think it's, again, it's some of those things that we can't, I can't control. Thanks. And, and then this one. 
What is the relationship between hitting bottom and relapse? If I relapse, does that mean I haven't hit bottom? I've heard people say that they hit bottom five years before their sobriety date. Um, I think I think consequences and hitting bottom is huge for me. Um, I mean, and that's and like I explained a while ago. You know, I I had to lose stuff, big time stuff, and be afraid. I was so afraid that I was going to lose my life. Now, how 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 am I going to lose my life? Well, I just had a predilection for for married women. And I could have easily been shot because I'm from the country and all those good old boys, they all got a rifle and a pistol and all that stuff. And, and I could have, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just very fortunate that I didn't contract a disease, that I didn't, do, you know, get shot. So, but um, I, hitting bottom is, is, um, is a big deal. And, I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, I really feel for the young guys that have a high testosterone level, by the way, and and they're acting out of choice is looking at viewing pornography and masturbating. And when they get through, I mean, they're bottom for that. They feel te- they feel terrible, and they call out and whatever, and that's their bottom. But is that a is that a significant enough bottom? To keep somebody from doing it again, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. It's a really a tough one, and um, and I, you know, I sponsor some people like that, and they and they relapse on on pornography, and and I say, you know what? You it it, it there's two things. It's lack of it's lack of adequate surrender, and you 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 you're the first step. I mean, you are you don't you couldn't feel powerless over this. Because you get away with it, and you wait a few weeks or whatever months, and you do it, and you get away with it again, and you keep on coming back. And um, so, I mean, that has to that has to be make it double hard. Um, and I and I really um, admire those guys, who's maybe some of you that um, you know relapse constantly. But don't give up because, you know, somebody said earlier today, you know, the miracle is going to happen sooner or later. Sooner or later, something is going to happen. It's going to change. You're going to change your mind. God's going to change your mind. And uh, and uh, the miracle will happen. Thanks. Okay, I've been in uh, the program for a year. Thankfully, it's been... uh no porn and no sex. However, there have been a handful of sex with self slips. How do I reflect positively and not uh, catastrophize? And is there uh, any room for uh, encouragement? Because I made uh, tr- because I made tremendous progress on so many on so many levels. You know, when I was a kid, they would always tell me. If you keep masturbating, you're going to go blind. And of course, the story is, well, can I do it till I just need glasses? You know, kind of, kind of like that. But uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> this is uh, how can I not uh, catastrophize? The, the the fact is that whoever wrote this, you're here, you're trying. I tried. It took me a long time. It's not a catastrophe. It is not a catastrophe. It's hope, you know. And 
I can remember when I was in middle school, one of my friends left and uh, moved out of town for three years. When he came back, who are you? I, did, I barely recognized him. And the, one of the great things about being a sponsor is that we can see changes in people. We can see changes in people. Let me say, I can see changes in people that they don't see because they're within themselves every day. They don't see it, but I can see it. And if you're going to meetings, if you're calling your sponsor, if you're working the program, you're getting better. So no reason to c- c- uh, catastrophize, you know, about that. You're going to get better. It's going to be it's going to be okay. I promise. You don't get to define okay. Only God defines okay. But you're going to be okay. Thanks. We've done that one. No. There is a paradox of working the program and the miracles of sobriety. The the switch comes on. Yeah, and and, and that's what I, I think. That's what I just alluded to earlier in my share. Um. Um. And that's and that's the hope that 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 I need to impart again to you. I mean, I mean, if you act out, if you've acted out every week this year, um, but you're here t- right now, you. I mean, g- congratulations, yay! I wish I'd come tell me about it because I want to. I want to shake your hand um, because I promise you that that the miracle will happen. I mean, and, and it's a God thing. I can't explain it, but it's a God thing. And somebody's going to say the right thing, or you're going to be in the right mood, or things are going to click, and you're going to be recovered. Okay, here's, here's a good one. What is the difference between knowledge of the first step and consciousness of the first step? When I first got into recovery, I said, okay, I've got a homework assignment. It's totally academic in nature. And I went through the 12th. Okay, I got it. Now what's next? What am I going to do now? Um, consciousness is the ability, I believe, at that point in time where we finally, where I finally accepted the fact that this was something way beyond my control, way beyond my power. That was the consciousness. And I, every morning when I get up, I have to remind myself every day, I've got an issue that's way beyond my control. That's the difference between reading it, the knowledge, and actually experiencing it. And for me, it happened. It took me a few years, but it, it did happen. Thanks. Um, so this guy says, I've been in the program for a year. Thankfully, it's, there's been no porn and no sex. However, there have been a handful of sex with self slips. We, we did that. What? Oh, we did? Why, I don't know if I can answer this one, why is sobriety slash recovery worth it? Well, I I mean, like I I said when I was standing up there, I want to be able to feel good about myself, and I'm 70, I don't know how many people are in my age group here, but you know... In my keen medical mind and <laughs> in my godlike spirit, I've decided I'm going to live 10 more years, I, I, you know, until 80. So, I mean, that, that sounds stupid, but, but that's not too unrealistic. And I want, I want to have people to have fond memories of me. If I, go, if I go out, I can leave here today, and I can masturbate, and I can go out to a strip club, and I can go... 
But what I really will do is is call one of my old friends from before and see if, if I can't hook up with them. And 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 it's and it's so progressive. I know that um, you know stuff will it'll continue, and uh, and there's, there's a high likelihood that my wife will find out. And I promise you, when I did those disclosures with her, I remember her look in her eyes uh, on her face when she told me, "If you ever do this again, it's over." I, and I believe that. I totally I believe that to the deepest part of my body. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So sobriety is worth the rest of my life. I have found that I would rather be here this weekend or I would rather be at my home group meeting than anywhere else in the world. And, and I don't know when that happened, but that's a, that's a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, as Bill, as Bill said a while ago, I believe. Um, you know, it's worth it. Uh, that's a that's a five word question. Why is sobriety worth it? And a few weeks ago, there was a guy that asked me to sponsor him. I sat down with him. He said, "Man, you know, I masturbate a couple of times a month." And uh, <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And I said, "Are you sure? Are you sure that your life is unmanageable as a result of this condition, brain disorder, whatever?" And he had a hard time answering that question. And the question about why is sobriety worth it is not a question to me or a question to uh, uh, Bill or Jim or anybody. It's the question as to the individual. Do you want what I have? Do you know what I have? Do you see what I have? Or are you okay with what you've got? That's it. If you're okay with where your life is today, and if you're okay with what you're doing today, and you're okay with it, no problem. Don't worry about it. So why is sobriety worth it? That's an, only an individual can answer that question, and in no way would I ever attempt to try to tell somebody why it's worth it unless they themselves make the determination that I want it. I want what you've got. So there's the next one. Um, this is going to be the last question. We've got a couple more up here, but uh, we don't have time. We're going to have to close after this question, but... But if you realize that your question wasn't addressed, come up and, and talk to us after the meeting. It'll be, it'll be fine with me. This one says, I acted out in SA for six years. Left, came back, got sober right away, and now have four and a half years. Looking back, I think what was different. I surrendered my right to be a victim of my sexaholism. A subtle malady. Yeah, I have comments about that. Um, being a victim, there's no solution. If I'm a victim, then there is no solution. I, I have to take responsibility for, for me. I cannot, you know, you know what it says in, on page 90 in the 12 and 12, when it's on the 10th step, it says, it says when we were wrong, so, I mean, when we are hurt, something is wrong with us. Every time, something is wrong with me. And I'm the only thing I can control. If, if you're making me mad, I can't control you. I can only control my reaction to you or what's going on. And so, um, so I, you know, I think that, that, that being a, not being a victim anymore, not being a victim of our disease, but being a recovering or recovered, like Bill talked about a while ago, sexaholic, 
is, is, is the solution. Okay? So we've we got a couple more questions, and if, and if you recognize that your question wasn't addressed, please come up. Um, let's see. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Let's close with a third step prayer. God, God, I offer offer myself myself to thee, to build build with me me, and do with me as you will. will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties, and victory over them, may bear witness to those that have helped, of your power, your love, and your way of life, and do your will always. Keep coming back, boys. Keep working. How are you, brother? Where are you living these days? Thank you, Jeremy. You got more jokes like that? Those are funny, man. Hold on. Which there was one about um the, the one guy. Uh, so I got that one. What was the other one? Uh, you told me the you told the one about the church. But what was the other one you said? Go blind if you masturbate. What other one? You had one before that. The one where you took your wife and two girlfriends to a I must say, I must say, literally, you read my story. No, no, no. I'm serious. You literally read my. I mean, you told my story. It's unbelievable. Sober today? Today, yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know, I know, but uh, I, I really, I want to talk to you a lot, I mean a long time, I don't know how about others, how it works, somebody gets just a part, like a um, I want to know how you did it, because I have a lot, I have a lot of common. What? I want to have what you have. I, I really do. I really want to have what you have. I said it work for me. What was the last time? You said you, you were straight for 18, for 18 no, years. I, I came in for the What happened then? Yeah. One day you woke up and said, okay, that's it. You'll, you'll try changing the team. Probably the biggest thing is the 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 so you work services. 
Yeah, it just happened. Oh, you saw it. It's like, wow, like, I can't believe it. Yeah. It was a sudden waterfall. I understand. Would you say that the relapsing has a lot to do with a low self-esteem? In my opinion, anybody that's really been completely closed in the head, they're pulled down, has got to have a close self-esteem because I'm going to do that. Totally don't believe that should be good. How can you separate And is it possible to work a good program, intense program, with a lot of Look, either you have it or you don't. The person has a loss of esteem. They can try to work on themselves. They can try to, you know, um, become better. But you, you have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you can work with it for a strong purpose. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.